minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Hello, Utah Street. Five, four, three, two, one. From inside our two-bedroom apartment in downtown Baltimore, it is the Masson All Access Podcast. Four games into the 2021 season. Here we are, Brendan. Thank you so much if you're joining us live on Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter. We do video versions of these podcasts if you're just listening on the audio version. But thank you for listening if you're just listening anyway. We're going to be talking about a scorching Hot weekend for the Baltimore Orioles and, uh, you know, kind of glossing over the uh, last night's game, 7 nothing defeat. We're going to talk that. entirely about this uh, opening weekend uh, sweep of the Boston Red Sox up at Fenway Park. We will touch on last night's game as well. There are plenty of storylines to get to, and we are one week into the season, Brendan, which means, of course, that it is that time of year where the same commercials have already been playing for a week. Yeah, and they're already stuck in our heads. Oh, they, they've been stuck in our heads yeah. for, I mean, seasons upon seasons yes. of the same Kind of buried, baked in, yeah. year after year. The one that, that is stuck in my head the most, Brendan, so far, the best part of waking up is Folgers in your cup commercial. Mm. I walk around singing that all the time. I think for me it was the, uh, the Chesapeake commercial that we always sing. Yes. That's the one. See, can we get money for Folgers or Chesapeake if we... Only if we can sing the jingle. We don't play the jingle. We sing the jingle on the podcast. The next podcast will just be 45 minutes of Paul and I reciting commercials to try right, to yeah. get... On, on pitch. You have perfect pitch there, Brendan. I try. <laughs> so we can, uh, we can do that. That's, we that's my only... And then we get full, you know, Folgers coffee, probably a lifetime supply. Right. I, I think if, if there was any opportunity for sponsorship they would look to us first because we you know are able Huge. to get it out to the largest audience possible i think they'd probably look to melanie newman first in terms of a coffee sponsorship this is true because she she drinks a lot of coffee you don't drink any coffee brendan i don't i think we need a, a well a, now you've just blown the folgers a great, sponsorship yeah there ball. we go but then i can get you into it and it can be a great story it can be like that's you know, the headline he started the drinking folgers now he's hooked you walk around like a caffeine high all the time I feel well, like we've you got a, do, we've got a great idea like here you to could start do, the commercial. At least on the podcast, you need to do a coffee versus non-coffee debate with Melanie Newman at some point. Maybe coffee draft is the next fantasy That's what draft she suggested. With I, Melanie Newman. Yeah, a Starbucks coffee draft, an all-coffee draft. Yeah. You would be at a massive disadvantage. So oh, I'm absolutely. Okay I mean, I've, I've won all of the fantasy drafts, so it, I think it's only fair that at least one of them I start at a disadvantage because I think that's really the only way uh, you that you even in, have a chance. You did come in last in the all-Opassi draft. Well, not based last. on war. Go Sabermetrics. Not based on Sabermetrics war. was on my side, the, and Sabermetrics is the only opinion that I need. Wow, I care about the fans. You, the fans. That's who I Tough cozy up to, and, and honestly, it is, we are a podcast of the people. And the Sabermetrics. No. No, mostly we don't need, we don't need your fancy numbers <laughs> crowding up our <laughs> get out of here with right. your numbers and statistics exactly we are going to be citing zero statistics going on all i test on this podcast well that's untrue <laughs> he looked good brendan i don't tell me what he hit he looked good 
And that's what's important, ladies exactly. and gentlemen. All right. Well, we have a lot to talk about here. We do. Uh, I feel like we should probably go chronologically. That I would make that sense. I think that is probably the best way to do this uh, because we have a lot to cover beginning with John Means' opening day. Start at Fenway Park. Seven scoreless innings. One hit. Absolutely dazzling performance from John Means. Everything that we hoped he would deliver. I don't think even the most optimistic of uh, commentators thought that he could deliver an opening day performance quite like that. The first of his career, uh, and he was absolutely special. It might be fair to say that this is up there with the best starts of his career. Yeah. If not the best start of his career. I mean, seven he, innings, one He was asked that hit, after the game. And five he, strikeouts. He said, probably. That was probably my best game of, the, of yeah. my career. And it was a dominant performance, too. Yeah. I mean, the Red Sox hitters weren't really getting particularly close. And it was the mix of the two-seam fastball that had great movement on it and the changeup that had fantastic movement on it. The interesting thing, obviously, it's a very small sample size, but John Means last year used his slider 10% of the time. 2% of his 97 pitches on opening day was that slider. Yeah, so two pitches. So he's get, <laughs> he's getting away from the slider. He's using the curveball a little bit more, and he's using the changeup a little bit more. Which is his bread and butter. Right. And he doesn't need the highest velo fastball, which is something that he worked with last year, was adding ticks to his velocity on that right. fastball, and it didn't help. And he came out of the gate and he stumbled a little bit, and it wasn't until he got back to what he was good at um, that he found the success that he had found his rookie year. His fastball was not blowing guys away, but it had great movement. His fastball was averaging just 92 miles an hour, whereas last year, first start of the year, it was averaging like 95, but it was getting hit hard. Gave up a grand slam in his first start uh, last year. He was just mixing up his pitches. His his um, changeup was lower miles per hour than it had been uh, in previous seasons. And like you said, he, he didn't use the pitches that are not as effective. Only two sliders thrown um, and and didn't need the, uh, the curveball all that much either. Yeah, the curveball he used a little bit more percentage-wise than he did last year, but obviously that's a very small sample size. The fastball velocity is still decent. It was, what, 93-94 in that game most of the time, but you don't need an overwhelming fastball yeah, if your secondary pitches. It wasn't low. Right, but, but by today's Major League standards, yeah. a 93-94-mile-an-hour fastball isn't really going to blow anybody away, but as long as your secondary pitches are working well, you don't really need a dominant fastball. I mean, look at Zach Greinke. He's been pitching for 100 million years, and his fastball sits at, what, 87-88? at this point in his career. So if you can use the deception with your secondary pitches like the changeup and you still have good movement on that fastball, you're still able to be really effective. And on the bigger scale, larger scale looking at this, I mean, this is the, I don't want to overreact, but that's what we're here for. I This is the leap that we hoped he'd make in 2020. After that great rookie year and he kind of strung, uh, stumbled down the stretch in the second half of 2019, we hoped he'd kind of take a big leap from that all-star rookie year, and it didn't quite happen. And we saw glimpses of it at the end of the 2020 season. But this performance sets the stage for a potentially very good year from John Means. I, I, I don't think we're going to see performances like this too often from him because that was absolutely incredible. I mean, one hit over seven innings against a team that we'll see how good the Red Sox end up being. Um, but still, I think the names in the lineup, you know, Rafael Devers, J.D. Martinez, there's still some potent 
offensive players. Yeah, well, the Red Sox strength this season was supposed to be the hitting. Yeah. The pitching was the big question mark where the younger guys in the rotation going to step up. The lineup was never the question because you have a lot of big names in that lineup. Like you said, J.D. Martinez, Xander Bogarts, Rafael Devers, Alex Verdugo. The bats are still there, and that's what made this so impressive. The entire weekend, I mean, the Red Sox lineup was supposed to be the strength of the team, and their pitching wasn't horrible, but it was the hitting that really let them down. And it was a combination of, well, maybe the Red Sox just weren't hitting very well, but the Orioles pitchers were really effective really all weekend. Yeah. So that kind of set the stage for the weekend. John Means' dazzling opening day performance. And then you were expecting a drop-off going from John Means to Matt Harvey. There was a little bit of a drop-off, but I'll tell you, I have very low, (laughs) very little, few expectations for Matt Harvey coming into this season. A guy that I thought was on the fringes of making this roster at the beginning of spring training, of course, signed a minor league deal with a million dollars guaranteed if he made the major league roster. Hadn't had an ERA that was really palatable in several years. Had had severe injuries over the course of his career. Uh, He was saying and doing all the right things in the offseason when the Orioles signed him. And you hope that it would translate. So far, One start in, he didn't go all that deep into the game, allowed two runs, but I think he was effective enough that if you get that Matt Harvey most of the time, that's more, I think, than what you could reasonably expect. Yeah, four and two-thirds innings pitch, six hits, two earned runs, four strikeouts. Pretty good. Yeah, I mean, it's not a fantastic start out of Matt Harvey, but you're not looking for ace stuff. You're not looking for John Means. You're not even really looking for something that Dean Kramer can probably give you. Matt Harvey, realistically, is going to be a number four starter in the rotation. Obviously, he pitched the second game here, but that was more matchup-based. If you can get four and two-thirds, two earned out of Matt Harvey, and then get the ball to the bullpen, which has been pretty effective so far... You'll take that because like you said, the expectations for Harvey were not all that high given his lack of success over the last few years. So if you can get a four, an ERA maybe in the mid fours for the season out of Matt Harvey, you'll take that every day of the week. Well, I think with Harvey, the floor is just so low. And I think that's what worried us is that it, he still has the potential. And of course, we're not going to judge his season off of one start here, but I think that we saw, we've seen him at his worst especially with Kansas City last year, and he can be pretty bad. And that was the concern, (laughs) is that, like his first start in spring training, if his pitches are not moving, they can get hit real hard. That fastball does not have the late life that it should at 94, 95 miles an hour. It started to, it looks like it's made improvements. I mean, and his off-speed looked the best that it's seen that, that we've seen in a while. And I think the interesting thing with Harvey will be to see what his spin rate does. Yeah. Over the season, he talked about in the offseason the fact that his spin rate was not very good and he hadn't paid too much attention to the analytical side of pitching. You've really got to pay attention to the analytical side of pitching. So I would imagine that the Orioles pitching coaches are, are working with Harvey and trying to get that spin rate up, seeing if they can work that fastball a little bit more, even if it doesn't have the velocity that it once did. If you're able to get that spin rate up, then the fastball looks like it's coming at you a lot faster than it would if you're throwing 94, 95 without much spin on it. Yeah. So then the let's keep it with the starting pitching and go to the third start, yep. which was Bruce Zimmerman. Now the offense backed him a whole lot more than the offense backed the first two starters in Means and Harvey. But Zimmerman was pretty good as well. Yeah. You know, an, another slight drop off from John Means. It wasn't, you know, gonna be a great performance, but um 
you got him to go deep enough in the game, and he did not allow too many runs to the point where he kept you in the game. It was it was a quality start. He earned his first career win, went six innings, I think gave up three. Yep. So that, again, another performance, which if that is going to be what you're going to get from Bruce Zimmerman, you'll take that seven days out of seven. It is the perfect back end of the rotation stuff. John Means will hopefully come out and be the ace of the rotation. We know that Dean Kramer has the potential to be a really good number two or number three. Bruce Zimmerman, I think, has the potential to be a really solid back end of the rotation piece. Because like you said, six innings, three earned, five strikeouts. He's not going to blow anybody away, but he's going to be consistently pretty good. At least that's what he was able to show us in this start against the Red Sox. If he's able to keep that type of pitching performance consistently throughout the season you're going to pick up a lot of wins when Bruce Zimmerman is on the mound because he's not letting up a ton of runs. He's not striking a ton of people out, but he's consistently pretty good. Yeah, and, and even Bruce Zimmerman, who was named the number three starter and was electric in spring training, he's still fighting to keep his spot in this rotation, right. much like pretty much everybody except for John Means. I think the competition is nipping at their heels in the minor leagues, at the alternate site, in terms of guys who are ready to come up. So you get a couple bad or blow-up starts in a row from guys and it might be a quicker hook than it would have been in previous years. They're probably not going to give somebody 10 starts if they're really struggling uh, for the O's on the mound to start the year. So him kind of fighting off the competition, he needs to put up more performances like that. And the same thing with Matt Harvey. I mean, you can't have a struggling Matt Harvey out there for too many starts. So they're just trying to hold down their spot in the rotation. Um, And that's what Brandon Hyde wants to see is some competition... Uh, amongst the starters, even themselves, um, in order to hold down those spots. So, you know, good for them. Yeah, and obviously Bruce Zimmerman gets a ton of run support in that game with yeah. 10 runs by the, what, third inning? Yeah, let's talk about the offense. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about Cedric Mullins. Yes. How about you? I'll, I'll tee you up for I this, mean, Brendan, this because is, this, is, this is your dream. It is the, it is the idealization, uh, realization. There it is. Uh, yeah, there we go. Uh, of... Your dream for Cedric Mullins. Look, it it feels like a little bit of a victory lap for me, I will say. I have been screaming and yelling about Cedric Mullins being in the Orioles starting lineup for what feels like five years. It's actually been the year and a half that I've been on the podcast. But Cedric Mullins, we knew what he could give you defensively. He's great in center field. But with that switch to just being a left-handed hitter, it seems to have done wonders for him at the plate because he's just able to focus on that one side. And he's doing well against lefties, too. It's not like he's just hitting right-handed pitchers from the left side of the plate. Cedric Mullins is finding ways to get on base. He's hitting doubles. He has three doubles in his 10 hits. What what more can you say about Cedric Mullins' start to the season? Yeah, you do wonder, and of course, a tiny sample size. Right. Let's keep in mind, 10, yes. ga- uh, uh, 10 hits, sorry, in four games so far. But you do wonder if we have unlocked his final four with going a lefty. And kudos to Cedric Mullins for, even though he had that great second half of the season, he hit 291 after getting brought back up from the alternate site between August and September last year, for still in the offseason, tinkering. And finding yes. a new way to, to get an advantage because a guy like Cedric Mullins, who does not have the size or the strength to hit the ball over the fence and put up, you know, the kind of home run numbers that other guys in this lineup will, he's going to have to look for every advantage possible, which is what he has done consistently over the course of his career by learning how to be an excellent bunter, uh, 
becoming a you know, a true threat on the base paths, uh, becoming a gold glove caliber center fielder, improving his arm in center field. He has done all of those things. The, the biggest questions remain about his bat. So for him to go into the offseason and say, I, I still need to find a way to get better at the plate, to be more consistent... And so far, this change has worked. We, you know, in, he's only faced a left-handed pitcher. I think six plate appearances so far. He's four for six against right. lefties so far. Uh, again, tiny sample size, but it doesn't look like he is totally lost. It doesn't look like he's lost the ability to pick up pitches from a lefty while he's hitting on the left side of the plate. And I really don't think that Cedric Mullins is going to be bunting too awful much this year. Because it looks like he is finding yeah. much more effective ways think, to get on base. I think he still could. I, he absolutely still it's could. It's a great tool to have in your pocket. Right. And I think you can more or less put Cedric Mullins in Sharpie at the leadoff spot. He is pretty much the yeah. perfect leadoff hitter to get on base for guys like Trey Mancini, Ryan Mountcastle, Anthony Santander. He's getting on base really consistently. And he's also only struck out once. Yeah. Which yeah. Is, which is huge because last year, even when he was hitting well. He was still striking out a lot. I think he, right. he struck out like 34 times in 38 games or something like that. So that that is definitely a concern for him. If he can, he, and he's not going to walk a, a whole lot. So he he does need to get on base at sometimes. I do think that Brandon Hyde might try him down in that nine hole like he used him last year as well as the kind of a different version of that leadoff hitter. Right. You know, you, you turn the lineup over, but it does help to have somebody like Freddie Galvis as well, who's another switch hitter who um, you know has some speed on the base paths as well to kind of balance them and and be a one or nine. But yeah, it, it, I ideally I think Cedric Mullins fits absolutely like a glove into that leadoff spot. Right, because not only is he getting on base, but like you said, Paul, he is also a threat on the base pass. Yeah. Led the Orioles in stolen bases last year. Hasn't been called to do that so far, but I think. When given the opportunity, he will probably be able to steal a good amount of bases for the Orioles this year. Absolutely. That's exciting stuff, yeah. Cedric Mullins. And uh, I think he has, obviously, with the Austin Hayes injury, he is now pretty much locked down center field for at least the next few weeks whenever Austin Hayes returns. But I think going forward, you can probably more or less pencil him in in center field, especially if he continues to hit like this. Yeah, and it was frustrating because Austin Hayes was... He struggled in the first couple games of the season, but was starting to find his form. I think, you know, the in, the play he actually got injured on was an RBI double uh, in the game uh, on Sunday, I believe, at Fenway. Yeah. Uh, a guy who we said before the season, you know, he could be a candidate for most valuable Oriole. He could be um, one of their better, more productive hitters in the lineup. He could lock down one of the spots in the outfield for the foreseeable future. It, he just has to stay healthy. And it was very frustrating in the first weekend series of the season for him to already go down with an injury. It's, it's frustrating because this has been the thing with Austin Hayes yeah. over his career, and you just are so hoping that you can finally get a full season of a healthy Austin Hayes to finally see his potential. And he looked so good in spring training as well. I don't think either of us were really all that concerned by a little bit of a slow start over the first few games of the season because given what we had seen in spring training, it was a pretty good assumption to think that he would carry that over into the regular season. But Austin Hayes goes down with an injury. He's on the 10-day IL. It didn't sound like it was terribly serious because they were still evaluating him before Monday's game and trying to figure out what they could do with Austin Hayes. So hopefully it will be the 10-day minimum and he's able to get back pretty quickly. But we are just keeping our fingers crossed for a healthy Austin Hayes because yeah. we really want to see 
that potential come to fruition. And the problem with Austin Hayes missing time for him personally is that there are guys that are ready to step up in that outfield. Right. We have named them many times before, Yusniel Diaz, Ryan McKenna being the two most prominent. Ryan McKenna made his major league debut yesterday, uh, was called upon and played right field uh, because Anthony Santander was not in the lineup, and they put Ryan Mountcastle in left field, Cedric yep. Mullins in center. Uh, we have been waiting for Ryan McKenna for a while now. He was on the taxi squad last year. We thought we might get his MLB debut last year, but the opportunity never arose. Now we have both DJ Stewart and Austin Hayes on the IL. Open the door for Ryan McKenna. I'm excited to see what this kid, what this kid does. Yeah, I am as well. And I think there were some fans asking yesterday, why not use Neil Diaz over Ryan McKenna? I think, at least in my head, the explanation for that, Austin Hayes was going to be your rotational center fielder with Cedric Mullins, yeah. more than likely. With Austin Hayes on the 10-day IL, Cedric Mullins is pretty much the only one on the roster at this point that can play center field exactly. defensively. So I think Brandon Hyde and the Orioles are probably more comfortable putting Ryan McKenna in center field than they would be using Niel Diaz. Obviously, Austin Hayes had started the season at a corner outfield with Cedric Mullins there, but if Mullins needed an off day with no Austin Hayes, you really don't have anybody to fill that spot. I think Ryan McKenna can pretty realistically be a backup center fielder for Cedric Mullins whenever he needs an off day, and I think that's why he gets the nod in this scenario over using the LDS. Yeah, and I think the for those who you know are not regular listeners to the podcast or need an update on Ryan McKenna, last time we saw him in minor league baseball, it was 2019, spent the entire season with Bowie, did not have a terribly high batting average, hit like 232, but he has some pop, stole I think 25 bags, so he's got speed as well on the base paths, and can realistically, I think, play center field at the big league level, like you said, Brendan, or can be used in left or right, similar to Austin Hayes. Yeah, they've tried using Neal Diaz in center field, and I think he probably could play there in a they, pinch. They keep saying that he's they feel comfortable using him in all three spots. But I think the speedier Ryan McKenna is much more suited to play center field if Cedric Mullins ends up getting an off day. And McKenna might just be the more ready prospect. Right. He is, even though he is a little bit younger, he's 24, whereas I think Yusniel is 25 or 26 this year. He has been more consistent, uh, you know, whether at the alternate site. And he rose up some prospect rankings uh, during the offseason as well. Even though he didn't have minor league baseball, they got he got good reviews at the alternate site, was on the taxi squad, went up from 22 to 15 in the Orioles system, which is not a small jump, especially right. considering they were adding prospects during the offseason that might have bumped him down. So he is up to number 15 in their system, can play multiple positions, just 24 years old, but they probably just feel a little bit more comfortable with him out there than Yusniel Diaz. Because let's face it, Yusniel Diaz has not put together the kind of season that we have been expecting from Yusniel Diaz. Has really, I think, not even played maybe 100 games in one single season at the AA level. So it's not, he may look more ready in terms of physicality. He looks, guy looks like a big leaguer and he flashes his power and his speed in spring. But he still is not a complete player yet. Ryan McKenna, I think, is closer to big league ready right now than Yusniel Diaz. And McKenna almost feels like early on Cedric Mullins, like a year or two ago Cedric Mullins, where if he is at the major league level, even if the bat isn't delivering right away, at the very worst, he is going to be a speedy guy who's good on the base paths and good defensively. Yeah. So that's what you get automatically with Ryan McKenna. 
obviously you're hoping that the bat will develop over the next few years, but at worst, you are getting somebody who is a solid defender and can be a speedy guy, either the top of the lineup, bottom of the lineup, where you can, wherever you need him to be. Yeah, and then you look at the outfield picture going forward, you're going to have DJ Stewart at some point coming off the injured list. We don't know exactly when, but they feel optimistic about him coming back. But that being said, he, he's been out almost four weeks now, and we've kind of been waiting for him to come back from that oblique injury, and it hasn't yet happened. So when DJ Stewart comes back, that makes outfield spots, especially at a premium. And Austin Hayes, hopefully this is a short trip on the IL. He's going to come back. It's going to be hard to find a spot for Ryan McKenna. And and McKenna, you know, has said before, he said in spring training, I don't want to, uh, you know, come back up and, and down if possible. I, w- I want to come up and stay because that, that's what everybody wants to do. They want to show that they can be an everyday big leaguer once they hit the big league. So he would have to do a lot, I would think, over the next week or two to show that he can stay on the 26-man roster. He's going to have to hit. That, yeah, that's yeah. going to be the thing with Ryan yeah, McKenna. We are going to need... It can't just be defense. Right. The bat is the one thing with Ryan McKenna that we need to see develop before we are calling Ryan McKenna an everyday outfielder. The bat is really going to need to start flashing in a hurry if he hopes to fend off a DJ Stewart or an Austin Hayes. Obviously, Austin Hayes will be on the roster once he's back from the IL. DJ Stewart is really the only one that I think Ryan McKenna could potentially beat out for a roster spot, but I don't know. I think he probably has too short of a time frame to beat one of those guys out because obviously McKenna gets the start yesterday with no Anthony Santander in the lineup. I don't think McKenna is going to be getting a ton of starts. He could if the Orioles decide to put Ryan Mountcastle at either first base or DH, and then you could put Ryan McKenna in left with Cedric Mullins in center and Anthony Santander in right. I just don't see him getting enough opportunities to fend off DJ Stewart. And and if he ends up getting optioned back to the alternate site in a week or two, that's obviously not the end of the world. You know, he, right. he's going to have plenty of options left, and I do think he will get a chance to stick on the roster long-term during the 2021 season. If everybody's healthy, uh, all the names that we mentioned between Stewart, Hayes, and Mullins, and Mountcastle, it, it's going to be tough. For him to get that, but I do think it's going to come at some point in 2021. Because the defense is very valuable. Yeah, and they want to see what they have in him. Right. Uh, you know, he, he's he's 24. Um, he's already played a full season at the AA level. You know, they can stick him down at AAA, but they at, at some point, you do want to see what you have in this kid. Yes, absolutely. And I, I think later on in the season, especially if there are trades, if there are more injuries, I think Ryan McKenna is probably going to be the first one to get the call in the outfield overuse Neil Diaz, which we just saw here. You say trades, plural, but we all know you're referring to an Anthony Santander trade. Potentially. We all know. Potentially. You're not fooling anybody. There could be trades to other guys in the infield where you open up a roster spot and then you can have Ryan McKenna in the outfield. Trades, plural. I think there's multiple possibilities. Speaking of which, we got to talk about the uh, the infield. One Rio Ruiz. Yes. That's you, gold glove second baseman Rio Ruiz. Do you to think? You. Do you think at this point we have to symbolically eat our words about Rio Ruiz? Are we? Have we reached that point, or is it still too early for us to do? that? I don't think we've reached that point yet because Rio Ruiz has still not shown much at the plate, which was one of the things that we were really t- his defense at third base was never really the issue. 
I mean, he was consistently pretty good defensively at third. The bat was the thing that was really inconsistent. And yeah. Rio Ruiz has shown at least so far that the glove at second base is a lot better than most people were expecting for a guy who did not play any second base until the Orioles traded for, or excuse me, signed Michael Franco. I think he played two innings there yeah. at the big league level ever. Yes. <laughs> So yeah. very little. Yeah. But the glove was great against the Red Sox. The bat is still the issue. Yeah. So if Rio Ruiz continues to not be consistent at the plate, I can't imagine that he gets a ton of run at second base with guys chomping at his heels like Jemiah Jones and Ryland Bannon in the minor leagues. But the glove is certainly promising. I, I mean, I thought that there would be more of a learning curve defensively, yeah. honestly, because it, it is... Kind of a difficult transition to make going from third base to second base. He has he's looked very good. I mean, he, yeah. he's, I think, a little bit quicker than I anticipated. You don't get to see all that many defensive tools necessarily, you know, like lateral quickness at third base from a guy. Right. He's pretty quick. I mean, his instincts are still great at yeah. second base. I just want to see more of him defensively here. You yeah. know? And, and I hope that he hits well enough for us to get that opportunity to see more of him because he, he hasn't, he hasn't, held it up his end of the deal with the bat. And going into the season when we were talking about guys that the Orioles could keep on their 26-man roster, the benefits of somebody like Pat Valeka or uh, Ramon Urias were that he has, they have the versatility. Yeah. They can play multiple positions and we haven't seen Rio Ruiz play shortstop. Maybe he can, who knows? But he at least has the versatility at this point to play both third base and second base. So that's valuable. Yeah, and honestly, I mean, I do want to see what Ramon Urias has to offer considering he's still 26, 27. Right. And we we did like what we saw from him last year in the limited sample size. But, you know, given the option between Pat Vileka and Rio Ruiz at second base, I'll take Rio Ruiz every time because he offers the upside that Vileka does not at this point. Well, the only he, thing between those two is that Vileka is pretty consistently better offensively. Yes, he is. But, I mean, at this point, I just... You know what you're going to get from Pat Vileka. And, honestly, Pat Vileka is not going to be a, a part of this team long-term no. in all likelihood. Right. Rio Ruiz, still in all likelihood, not likely to be part of this team on the next Orioles playoff team. However, he does offer more theoretical upside still because he is younger uh, and does have a plus glove. Theoretically, but I think the clock for Rio Ruiz is ticking. It's still ticking. As it's still ticking. I, I because <laughs> we've got Jemai Jones, we've got Ryland Bannon. I can't imagine that a inconsistent Rio Ruiz is closing the door on those guys. No, no, absolutely not. I, I just mean in terms of Valeka, most likely, and, right. and even Urias. Yes. I, I well, if, the edge. Look, if Rio Ruiz can be a little more consistent at the plate and we actually see some of that power... I think he could stick at second base, maybe not as the starter, but at least maybe he beats out, like you said, Pat Faleka, Ramon Urias for those utility roles on the bench. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he is at least creating a more diverse profile. He's making yes. himself more attractive, not just to the Orioles, but maybe to other teams in the future, showing that he can play second base, yeah. you know, and that that makes you a more attractive candidate to, to be a true utility player uh, at the big league level. Uh, yeah, and Rio Ruiz is really just one of the uh, many storylines that came out of this weekend series with the Red Sox that were really, really encouraging. Another one that we haven't talked about yet, Paul, the bullpen. Yeah, let's get into it. Really good against the Red Sox. They go nine and a third innings, did not allow a run against Boston. The pitchers that were used, Cesar Valdez, Adam Plutko, Cole Sulser, Dylan Tate, Tanner Scott, 
and Tyler Wells. Yeah. Didn't allow a run against the Red Sox. So, yes, all that stuff is great. We will add the caveat that, you know, the, the bullpen kind of exploded a little bit yesterday against the, the Yankees. A little bit. But, yes, I mean, the, the first three games of the season, the bullpen was excellent. Yes. It, it was an encouraging way to go into this Yankees series, which did not start very well. But you at least like what you saw from the bullpen in the first three games of the season. It also really helped that all three starters in the Fenway series were at least went into, I think the shortest start came from Matt Harvey and he went into the fifth still. Um, I think he pitched four and a third, four and two thirds. So, um, you know, you had John Means going seven innings on opening day. You had Bruce Zimmerman going six innings on Sunday there, we don't know how many performances like that we're going to get from this rotation, and that's the one thing that Brandon Hyde really needs is his starters to go deep into games, right? Because that takes so much pressure off the bullpen. Because then you're only clear, you know, you only have to worry about nine outs on opening day. That right, saves your guys for the second day, and it, it it is like a compounding effect. Whereas if a bullpen get or a starter gets blown up, and you have to have a bullpen game for seven innings. That hurts you the next day and the next day, and it's a domino effect. And I was also really encouraged by one of those guys in particular being Adam Plutko because I see him as a potential rotation piece in a few weeks going forward. We talked about last week on the podcast when the Orioles acquired Adam Plutko that he is going to need to ramp up his innings work a little bit because he hadn't pitched over two innings in, what, a year? Something like that. So Adam Plutko goes two and a third, allows just one hit, strikes out two, that's really encouraging because I think if Jorge Lopez is struggling, like we saw yesterday, he wasn't horrible yesterday. His stat line we'll, we'll get to in a little bit. But Adam Plutko, I think, could realistically become a number four, number five starter in this rotation. And to see him go two and a third, which is more than he had pitched in a while, and like I said, gives up just one hit and strikes out two, that was really encouraging to see. Well, we're already seeing the benefits also of this deeper bullpen that we talked yeah. about. I remember on opening day, we were talking about this bullpen being deeper than maybe the, the deepest we've seen it on opening day, at least than we had in the past couple of years. And even without the guys that they traded last off uh, last trade deadline, with right. Michael Gibbons and Miguel Castro, they still have a pretty deep stable of arms. Part of it is due to the fact that they have the added roster spot this year. It's not 25 man roster. It's 26. Um, but also, it allowed Brandon Hyde in those first three games to use all different pitchers. The only pitcher he repeated was Cesar Valdez, and he joked that he lied a little bit because after opening day, he said, I'm not going to use anybody else, including Cesar Valdez again yeah. today. And then after the game, he said, yeah, I lied. I, I used him again. So Cesar Valdez right now is the bona fide closer. You know, right. I, how much he keeps that role, how much that role matters on a team that's not expected to be competitive, you know, that's debatable. But... Cesar Valdez has kind of settled himself in one weekend into the closer role. And look, you've got John Means who can go seven innings. You've got Dean Kramer who you can probably pitch five or six innings if he's rolling. But the rest of the Orioles starters, I think Bruce Zimmerman, he went six innings. So I think that's probably the max that we'll see from Bruce Zimmerman this year if I had to guess. But it's nice as well because with starters like Matt Harvey and Jorge Lopez, if they pitch decently well into the fifth inning, you can say, all right, let's, you know, let's not take our chances here getting into the lineup a third time. Yeah. If they're pitching decently well, you can take them out and you can go to your other arms in the bullpen because it's a very deep bullpen with guys that can throw multiple innings. Yeah. And that is such a valuable thing with guys like Cesar Valdez, Adam Pletko, Tyler Wells, Max Roller, Wade LeBlanc, all of those guys can go two or three innings if you need them to. So if the starting rotation isn't 
a huge strength for you. If you can get starts from Matt Harvey and Jorge Lopez that go four and two thirds and allow two or three runs, you can get it to your bullpen in a pretty comfortable spot with a lot of guys who can pitch multiple innings. Yeah, and I think the only guy we haven't seen so far is Wade LeBlanc right. yet come out of that bullpen, which I would expect they would be using him in a bulk role. You know, yes. He's, he's going to be pitching long innings. He's probably more of an emergency bullpen guy. If one of your starters doesn't get out of the second or third inning, you can throw in Wade LeBlanc to go four or five. Yeah, but the two pitchers you just mentioned also in, in the list there, Two Rule 5 guys. Yes. Tyler Wells, Max Aroller. Yeah. Both making their big league debuts. Neither has given up a run yet. Tyler Wells impresses with his one inning at Fenway. And then last night, Max Aroller going up against the Yankees. And, you know, Yankees had already tagged the Orioles for a 7 nothing lead at this point. However, he's thrown into this situation first big league start, the, or first big league appearance, rather, the last time he had pitched in a game, in, a, in an actual counted game, was at high A ball yeah. in 2019, and bases loaded, one out, and they throw him on the mound and say, go get uh, Aaron Judge. Yeah, welcome to the bigs. Good luck. Yeah, bases loaded, one out, Aaron Judge. And he strikes him out looking. Yeah. And then gets, I believe it was Aaron Hicks, to pop yep. out. In the next step at stays in for two more innings, does not allow a hit at Fenway Park. Aaron Hicks at, at Yankee Stadium. Excuse Aaron me. Hicks, who has struggled a little bit, but is notorious for not swinging at balls. He has fantastic plate discipline. So that's two really, really tough hitters that Max Roller goes up against. We were joking yesterday. Hey, welcome to the bigs. There's one out. The bases are loaded yeah. and Aaron Judge is at the plate. Go get him. Kid. At, at Yankee Stadium. At Yankee with Stadium. With fans back in the ballpark. Yep. You haven't pitched in an actual game in over a year. And last time you pitched was high A ball. Well, look, it wasn't an incredibly high leverage situation no. because if Aaron, wasn't a tie you know, if Aaron Judge doubles home three runs with the bases loaded, you know, you're not going to get on Max Roller for not getting out of that jam. But if this were a higher leverage situation in a hypothetical scenario, he's able to get out of a bases loaded one out jam. Yeah, it was really in encouraging for Max Roller. And and the one thing that Brandon Hyde wants from his bullpen guys, if nothing else, that they throw strikes. And in a game where Jorge Lopez, the wheels were coming off and he was not throwing strikes and he walks the bases loaded, essentially. I think he walked yeah. two of those guys that eventually led to the grand slam. Paul Fry walked a guy. Uh, Sean Armstrong, I think, walked a guy to, to load the bases. The, there were guys that were not throwing strikes. And Brandon Hyde was like, I just need somebody I can throw in to throw strikes and to get us through this game. And Max Roller did that. Yeah, Jorge Lopez goes four and two thirds, three hits, four earned runs, five strikeouts. Obviously, three of those earned runs coming on the Grand Slam that was surrendered by Sean Armstrong once he comes into the game. Stats are cruel. Stats are mean to Jorge that Lopez. That would just be one earned run if... Right, but he... <laughs> Sean Armstrong gets look, Jorge Lopez looked pretty good for the first four innings. He did. It's the last two third where the wheels started to fall off a little bit. It's throwing strikes. Yeah. It, it almost is, it, you know, we're simply simplifying it probably a little bit too much, but that is just what Brandon Hyde wants to see. And that is something that will get you the hook fast is not throwing strikes. So especially, so he, you know, he's also mentioned how Tyler Wells throws strikes and he likes that, but for Max Aroller to come in, um, strike out Aaron judge and then get a pop out and then stay in for two more innings. And he did walk two guys in those two more innings, but not allowing a hit. Um, I think at this point, you know, I'm, I'm glad that they optioned Cole Sulcer down to keep open the roster spot. They didn't have to send either one of Max Arola or Tyler Wells down or, or back to their original teams. 
Uh, but, you know, at this point, we'll see what they do in their next outing, but they're still on the team for now. Yeah, and these were the encouraging signs that we saw from the Yankees game. Obviously, we're getting a lot of comments about uh, the, last the night's game yeah. not yeah. being great. But look, you ran into a Yankees team where the bats were asleep against the Blue Jays and they were bound to wake up at some point because it is arguably the best lineup in all of baseball. Jordan Montgomery has always been a very underrated starting pitcher. He's kind of similar to John Means in a lot of the things that he does where he doesn't throw particularly fast, but he has a really deceptive fastball and a deceptive changeup. So you just ran into a good lineup that was bound to wake up and a really good starting pitcher. So obviously the Orioles bats were not there last night, but it also wasn't the best Orioles lineup that we've seen so far this season. No, exactly. With both Hayes and Stewart being out and Santander. And Santander was not being in that lineup. Right. Uh, You know, I, I tweeted out, I think about the Orioles not hitting a home run through their first three games of the season and yet scoring 18 runs and sweeping the Boston Red Sox. Okay, I, I think they can hit a home run now. I, yes. I think I'm okay with that. I think that that's probably going to be in their benefit if they hit a home run at some point. They get yeah. blanked last night. I don't know where that first home run is coming from. We talked about the balls being dejuiced this year. They look dejuiced. They we talked about it, it is, a little bit yeah. yesterday. It is early April, so I don't want to overreact, but that's what we're here for. Yeah. And uh, a lot of balls dying on the warning track. A lot of balls that we're used to just seeing off the bat that are just dying. Yeah. And, and you know, it, they've also been playing in some windy ballparks. I mean, uh, Fenway was kind of cold and windy over the weekend. But you, I, I, it's going to be interesting to see how the home run numbers look for this year because it is kind of strange that the Orioles have not hit one yet, and yet they've scored 18 runs. Yeah, we haven't seen the home runs from the power guys in the middle of the Orioles lineup. We have seen the RBIs, which is a good yeah. thing. Anthony Santander with four, Trey Mancini with three, Michael Franco with four, and Ryan Mountcastle with three RBIs. So they haven't played particularly well to start the season. Trey Mancini, Michael Franco, and Ryan Mountcastle with just eight hits between the three of them. But obviously, those guys are going to pick it up. Trey Mancini and Ryan Mountcastle, especially, they are not going to continue to have that low of a batting average. So hopefully, the runs will come. We'll continue to see Cedric Mullins at the top of the lineup do good things, get on base. And then those middle of the lineup guys will not be in the little bit of a slouch that they have been in to start the season. Yeah. What are you looking forward to through the final three games? Is it three games? No, two games of this series against the Yankees and then the home opener at home on Thursday. Well, look, the Yankees are still probably one of, if not the best teams in the American League, so I'm not having terribly high expectations in terms of the win column for this series, but there have been some encouraging signs that you are hoping to see continue. The starting pitching has been really good. For three of the first four games of the season, the starting pitching was very solid, and Jorge Lopez looked good for four out of his four and two-thirds innings. So hopefully the starting pitching trend continues. The bullpen as a whole has been good. Paul Fry and Sean Armstrong, not so much. I think those two will pick it up as the season goes along, but the bullpen has continued to be encouraging. And then Cedric Mullins, of course. And of course, if there's going to be somebody that you, you know, you're not going to want any of your players to struggle, but... If Sean Armstrong and Paul Fry are the ones that are struggling in that bullpen, that's not the end of the world. You want to see the younger guys succeed more, which Tanner Scott has looked good. Exactly. Uh, Dylan Tate has looked pretty good. And then, of course, the two World 5 guys. So, you know, you're a little bit more okay with the guys who are 30-31 struggling as opposed to the pieces that might be a part of your bullpen long term. And I think one of the things that I'll be looking for is, like I just mentioned before, the middle of the lineup. You've got to start hitting a little bit more. They're driving guys in. 
which is good, but the yeah. batting averages have not been there for Franco, Mancini, and Mountcastle. I don't expect that to continue, and hopefully this week they'll start to get on track a little bit. Yeah, uh, and I'm very excited for Dean Kramer's first start. Yes. You know how high I am on this guy. Yes. Uh, added him to my fantasy team. You did. For no other reason than I want to see this guy succeed. We yeah. want to be correct. I think I, I have John Means on my fantasy team. You've you got did. Dean Kramer, and we just want to be correct about That's our pitching you, predictions. You're gloating about uh, Cedric Mullins. Who is also on my team. There you go. I picked him up with no shame. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. I don't think he's going to hit 588. Well, certainly not way. with that attitude. Not Paul. with any attitude, Brendan. <laughs> not with any attitude. Uh, it's going to be exciting tonight. Dean Kramer getting his first start of the season. The Yankee Slayer, Dean Kramer. True. Yeah. yeah. Two starts last year. Dominated him. Yeah. So maybe that success continues. And then uh, we already missed the Red Sox, so we're going to see them again <laughs> on Thursday for opening day, day off Friday. But we will be there uh, for opening day, keeping you covered as well from Oreo Park at, at Camden Yards. I believe it's a 3.05 start. Hopefully I get some good weather. Yeah. I am so excited to get back in the Oh, me park. too. Oh, my goodness. It's uh, been too long. Yeah, and to see actual fans in the stands at Camden Yards. If you're coming down to the game, let us know as well. Yeah. Uh, not like we can hang out or see you, but just let us <laughs> we'll, know that we'll you will to wave. Yeah, yeah, maybe take a video of us. We'll, we'll wave from, from somewhere with our yeah. masks on, of course. Uh, he is Brendan Mortensen at Brendan Morty. I am at Paul Mancano. We want to thank Hannah Broder behind the scenes as always. Please rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. Share this with your friends on whatever platform you may be watching this on. Uh, exciting week coming up. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we'll catch you next time.